gentlemen, welcome, welcome to another episode of Dark Insight. This is episode 56 and it is Friday the 28th of April 2017. I am your host for this show. My name is Josh Crow. There is no Jeremy today because he is a very busy man at the moment. Uh, there is no Cliff today either because he's currently on holiday. Um, so today we have got is me and uh, a good friend over in New Zealand, Charles Turner. How are you today, sir? Yep, you're stuck with me. Uh, good, thank you. <laughs> Make it sound like it's a chore. It's not really. <laughs> it's not. Don't worry about no. it. <laughs> um, so we managed to uh, get a very special guest. That is a man who's been on the show was it once, twice. This might be your third time on the show. I think. Second uh, no, or third? It's second. Second time. Is it the second? I thought it was like the third or fourth. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, but you may recognise him from the absolutely fantastic show, Kane and Rince. It's Mr. James Carter. How are you doing, sir? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me on. Uh, not uh, yeah, at all. I was supposed to be on round about a month ago, but I was going on holiday myself. Uh, oh, right. So, so couldn't make it. So mm. I was on episode 28, and I'm now on episode 56, some 28 episodes later, fittingly. Oh, bloody hell. I thought you'd been on more <laughs> times than that. God. All right, it's almost like we planned this. <laughs> um, well, then, before we get into the uh, the news, uh, we've got to do our customary weather check. I will start because, quite frankly, I'm a bit disappointed in our climate this week. It is bloody May <laughs> on Monday, right? It is May on Monday, and we have had frost this week, and I don't understand why, except for the only reason I can think of is this country's climate is shit. But it's just, I don't understand what has been happening this week. Every morning when I've left for work, it's been a frost all over the cars. And it's been absolutely freezing. And it makes me think, what well, are we going to get a summer? If we do, when's it going to turn up? And what is it actually going to be like? Chances are it's going to be about one day of sun. And then it's going to be raining the rest of the year. So I just, I've just i come to the conclusion that I genuinely have no clue what this country's climate is anymore. I don't get it. So I don't know if it's been the same for you, James. But it's been freezing here. Mm. Uh, it's been pretty cold. Uh, we the only frost we had was this morning, actually. But uh, yeah, it's just been really bad. I mean, it's been nice weather during the day some days, but mm, yeah. uh, yesterday and today were pretty changeable showers on and off. But then really nice periods of sunshine. Um, not warm, but just yeah, it seems very cold for some reason. Yeah, I don't get it. I just don't get it. And Vader, you probably had a tornado or something over there, I expect. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, it hasn't been that bad this week. Um, it's actually had some nice days of sun. And today I am in the mist again. I'm up in the hills, so we get mist quite regularly. Mm. We're in the clouds. But what you've described is exactly what the world thinks England is. Nine months of winter, three months of cloud. To be fair, they're not far off. They're not far off. You, you just need. <laughs> this is not that unusual. Yeah, you get you get nine months of clouds or whatever, and three months of winter, and then you just get twelve months of rain. So, I, I was yeah, I was I was about to say it's actually not that bad, but the degree to which British people moan about the weather makes everyone think <laughs> it's that bad. Um, we are, we are a nation of complainers, it must be said. It doesn't matter what the weather's doing. We moan and moan and moan and say, "Oh, it's too it's cold." Too cold or too wet or too yeah, windy. And too, exactly. Too hot. Yeah, and then it's the sun hot, comes yep. out, and they're like, "Oh, it's too hot!" And he's like, "Oh, come on!" Oh. Yeah, I was there seven years ago for a couple of weeks, and yeah, it was quite a hot spell. Mm. Um, it would have been around the June-ish mark, so yeah, midsummer. But yeah, everyone was complaining about how hot it was. 
<laughs> yeah, the seven, seven years later, nothing's changed, mate. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, I still yeah. remember I was there um, when I was twenty-two years ago, when I was ten years old, for three months up in the northeast, um, Newcastle. But we travelled a bit, and I we went down to uh, Lincoln, where my dad's from, hmm. and we off went off to the coast, and we're at the beach, and on the, this was midday, on the beach, the dunes of the sand had frost on them still. <laughs> <laughs> I always winter, but still, this is at the beach. There was frost on the beach, and it was just that blew my mind as a kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's probably exactly the same now. I expect. <laughs> yeah, just, just yeah, yeah, just this climate. Oh, don't get it. Right. Well, we should get on to the news, and we've got quite a lot on the news this week. I genuinely did not think it was actually going to be that much news this week, but thanks to James, we've actually got quite a packed news section. So I've only added one thing to this list, which is the the uh, the Call of Duty World War Two trailer sort of stream thing happened uh, was yesterday or the day before. I think it was yesterday yeah, that it happened. Yesterday. So yeah, at the time of recording. Um, so I did catch a tiny bit of the stream, but I couldn't watch all of it because it was about the time I had to sort of get some sleep. Um, but I did check out the, the trailer. And I have to say, considering that I've kind of gone off Call of Duty, well, pretty much. I think the last decent game in the series I remember playing and actually properly enjoying was Modern Warfare 3. And even that was kind of pushing it. So for them to actually be able to bring it back to what we all believe it to be is really really good for me i'm actually quite excited for this one the trailer looked absolutely stunning i know that in the stream they were talking about the uh the want to really make it as realistic and as passionate and as mm. full of love and respect for all the brave people in World War Two as they possibly could. And I know that, that those kind of things I try to take with a pinch of salt because they're generally talking quite a lot of sort of hyperbole and you don't tend to... It doesn't necessarily come across in the game sometimes when it comes out, but with this kind of subject, I feel that I give them a little more agency over it because it's such a real and personal thing to a great deal of people. And I just... I hope that when they say they're actually giving it the attention and love that it deserves that they really are because it is such an important event and I just hope that it doesn't get too gamified really because although I haven't played it Battlefield 1 seems to have done a good job with the campaign of keeping it sort of grounded and actually giving you the sense that you know to this, that you're really in the trenches with everybody else and I just hope that they yeah. actually yeah a lot, a lot of the, the comments from people playing the campaign mm. for Battlefield 1 I haven't myself so this is entirely anecdotal sort mm. of second hand but um, a lot of the comments were that the sort of the weight of what you were doing and the emotion of it mm. were were there that was kind of realised I think it sounds like Activision paid attention to EA's PR for that game though because there was some really what I felt was tone deaf kind of campaigns around getting people to play for weekend events mm. and having like gifts of torching people with flamethrowers and stuff mm. like that that really kind of undercut what DICE had tried to do with the campaign mm. um, it seemed again this is all second hand but I have to say 
looking at the some of the stuff that was going on Twitter around that game did kind of give me pause for thought and it sounds like Activision are going out of their way to kind of make the point that they are going to to do what DICE did with mm. Battlefield 1 by the sounds of it mm. um, and hopefully put their best foot forward when it comes to that. I just wonder what you guys think because obviously we had a large number of these games mm-hmm. set in World War Two previously and it doesn't feel like there was this uh, this much concern over making sure that you know deference was paid to the fact that this is a real war people died and mm-hmm. this is essentially a historical uh story being told mm-hmm. uh, you know a real life story being mm-hmm. told um, it doesn't feel like they had to worry about that 10 years ago in the way they do now mm. i think the world's changed along the last 10 years yeah. we everyone gets offended these days mm. um mm. Which is a good thing at times, but also, but yeah, so I think people are more cautious now than they were 10 years ago. It's not not just that. I think it's because Call of Duty back then wasn't the franchise that it is today. Whereas nowadays we kind of, we expect a new Call of Duty game every year. And when a new one gets announced, we pretty much know what we're in for. It's basically going to be a run of the mill. You're going to get a campaign. It's going to be fun to play through, but it doesn't really ask the player to get particularly emotionally engaged with it it's just a bit of run and fun um and everybody basically plays it for the multiplayer but i think that bringing it back to its roots in this day and age when call of duty is under such heavy scrutiny because as soon as the call of duty game gets announced you instantly from that moment you get the people who are in the camp and the people who are against it so I think that nowadays, especially when you're bringing it back to something that is genuinely, is real, you know, it actually happened. I think that being able to actually give the player the realistic setting and the, the sense that they are actually there, kind of, you need to convey the respect that you you should rightfully pay to the people who actually died in this conflict. But at the same time, they also need to bear in mind that at its base level, it is just a video game. And so there will be certain kinds of corporate marketing that comes with it. And although we all sort of we all moan and roll our eyes at it, and don't get me wrong, I'm just as guilty of it as anybody else. Some of the, the marketing that came along with the whole Battlefield 1 stuff was just, it was ridiculous. But... It's it's trying to actually separate the two things. You uh, you have a game that is based on a a real life actual setting and you know historic events that took place, but it is a game. And so, how do you go about marketing that? Do you market it from the perspective of this stuff actually happened, and this is more of a tribute to those people who gave their lives, or do you market it as? Yeah, we appreciate that these people gave their lives, but please give us your money because we have DLC planned and all this sort of stuff. So it's very, very difficult to actually weigh up the pros and cons of this because they are essentially, at the end of the day, just selling a product to a consumer. And it's it's very much different when the product itself is concerning just made-up events. But when it's concerning real-life events, you get a very divisive marketing campaign that just I don't know it it sits odd with me and I don't really know why 
but I, d I just don't know. It's hmm. it'd be interesting to see how the marketing goes as we actually come down it. I mean, I'm assuming there'll probably be um, like a bit of gameplay shown at E3, as we're not too far away from it. So definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but It'll make its way onto Sony's stage. I think they've been on Sony's E3 stage for the past couple of years, haven't they? Mm, yeah. Exactly, but I mean, so the, like all the stuff that's happened with Destiny recently, it's okay to just push Destiny in everybody's faces because a it's Destiny, and b it's completely make believe. So yeah. people immediately buy into it just based purely on the fact that they enjoyed Destiny for what it was. Whereas this is you kind of have to appeal to the people who want to play a Call of Duty game whilst simultaneously appealing to the people who actually to sort of really want to sort of pay respects to these people but then you kind of get a little bit of hypocrisy because you as much as i love these games and i do prefer the world war Two based call of duty games to the more modern stuff but there is a kind of a sense of guilt that comes with it where you you kind of think like i am exploiting essentially people who are related to me i am exploiting a conflict that they are or, the, or they were a part of for my enjoyment so it, like I said it's, it's very very weird with me and I like to enjoy the games for what they are but I also feel a sense of just I don't know sheer guilt for actually playing a video game where it doesn't matter if I die because I'm going to respawn and I could just try that bit again whereas you know when a person died in the actual conflict that is it you know, they are just they're done and I don't know it's, it's a very very weird thing I'm totally on board with it and I'm really looking forward to where they go and I will probably be picking it up but I don't know it, it's a thing I felt for a long time with these games so it was easy to forget when we had the likes of you know um, what was it Ghosts and Advanced Warfare yeah, well, from, it was. yeah. From Modern Warfare onwards just about pretty much world at war kind of we came out uh mm. after modern warfare but from kind of pretty much that point on black ops and mm. um although black ops started out in vietnam didn't it but yeah it um, did yeah but yeah then they went into future warfare essentially mm -hmm. um which is all a bit easier to take with a certain amount of tongue-in-cheek um i think the interesting thing will be that for certainly someone of my age who remembers playing Call of Duty 2 and, and you know, uh, World War II shooters back in that kind of era, you know, beginning of the 360 uh, and before. Um, Normandy beach landings are kind of, you know, old hat, but mm -hmm. to a lot of people who are younger than me, this, you can say this about every Call of Duty, which is why, you know, why they can get away with uh, as big and successful a release every single year is this is always going to be someone's first Call of Duty and in this case this is going to be quite a lot of people's first World War II Call of Duty mm. so doing the Normandy beach landing which has been so overdone mm. um, in previously actually this will be the first time with these modern consoles and um, all the updates to to their engines and sledgehammers first attempt I think at, at this particular um, aspect and obviously they made a big deal of it in the trailer so they're not going to shy away from that 
Um, it'll be interesting to see how much a World War II game has changed and, and how much Call of Duty changing affects the lens through which we look at it and everything. It'll be, yeah, interesting to see. And as you say, the trailer um, it didn't necessarily blow me away or, or anything, but how it looks, you know, I literally mean the way it looks, it's aesthetic and mm -hmm. uh, the graphics and everything, obviously not necessarily representative of what the game will look like in mm. its finished form but it, it yeah it's pretty jaw-dropping to be honest mm -hmm. there's a couple of shots there even of uh, people's faces that again photorealistic something that they can't really achieve but you know it does give you pause for thought for a second you know the detail and some of the facial close-ups and stuff like that is is pretty uh, astounding mm. yeah yeah then yeah, you know, I don't want to be sort of particularly sort of cynical about it, but it just it does make me think that although I'm completely on board with it because I've been on board with the World War Two style of Call of Duty games since, since basically Finest Hour, mm. it does make me think that it, there's only so much that they can apparently do. Although there are so many stories that they could tell because of the extent of the conflict. Yeah. But there, there's probably we, because it's Call of Duty. There's probably going to be a likely cut and dry story that we could predict from, I don't know, from the the moment it started to the moment it ends. Where mm. you know the, there will, there will be certain bits of character development, and then you will be hit with you know the emotional stuff of seeing your friends being killed in front of you, which is fine. But going back to my earlier point because it's a Call of Duty game and they need to market it it's just just going to be glorifying it to the extent where this is World War 2 and this is how it looks on current gen and I'm thinking as cool as that is because it's always good to see the photorealistic stuff that's kind of that's not really what I want from it because it's I would put I would much prefer it to be more character driven than just action driven mm. because I think that it's more the relationships between the people who fought in the actual conflict that matter slightly more than the conflict obviously the conflict is a very very important thing but it's the fact that these are just everyday people who gave their lives for this conflict and I think it's the they're going to have to prove themselves with the relationships between the characters that's what I want to see I want to see me as part of a group of basically friends and actually having char proper character interactions and proper relationships with these characters that mm -hmm. makes me believe that I am there so that when inevitably these people do get killed because it is a game I really do feel something rather than just oh crap they're dead you know I, I actually genuinely, yeah, yeah. genuinely want to feel the heartache of essentially just losing a friend in a conflict that they didn't even want to be a part of in the first place so I'm very interested to see how that comes across but I don't know the, I mean the internet has just blown up about this and everybody's got their own sort of little opinion to, to have on it but yeah I mean how do you feel about this Vader because I know you're not typically a sort of shooter guy are you mm -hmm. um, so apart from Destiny I don't really think you've played that many shooters uh, since I've known the you the Bear Company games are the best shooters around mm. uh, Battlefield yeah, yeah, Bear Company I'll, I'll go with that Bear mm. Company um, games, uh, I was a big fan of yeah mm. yeah, yeah it was very good um, 
I know. It's why don't they just make Saving Private Ryan? Because that's a good. That'd be a good, cool campaign. <laughs> hmm. um, but it's just interesting. I watched the trailer when we first started talking about this. Um, there's already, and you mentioned controversy. There already is apparently. Um, it, mm, yeah. This was announced a day ago. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And apparently, there's a uh, you know how YouTube has suggestions of what to watch next. There's a a video um, saying Call of Duty World War Two is sexist, uh, tokenistic, and whitewashing history, according mm. to an article. And this is this is a retort. The video is a retort to an, a written article that someone wrote about how it's that. Which is interesting because we've seen one trailer, <laughs> mm. and it's how how we can get so much controversy out of one trailer. It's quite amusing. Mm. Um, it it may be obviously. My first thought is yeah, maybe let them make the game before you judge exactly what yeah. it's going to be. But um, there was, uh, as as you said, Josh, an hour long stream of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of kind of information came out. Uh, from Activision during that, so uh, okay. it may well be there's something in there that I don't know about. So I don't necessarily want to say, let's not jump the gun because maybe, maybe that particular perspective isn't, or you know there is something to it. But um, yeah, hmm. the other yeah. thought I had was that it's interesting that the we talk about how they're trying to portray it as and be respectful to to the mm. war, but then they market market the game having we've got zombies. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. See that that plays more into the whole sort of gamified section of it. Is you know they say, oh, we want to sort of make sure that we capture the the realism and we get the respect of the situation across. But then they go ahead and just put in a mode that everybody wants and everybody's been playing since it was first brought into the Call of Duty franchise. So to get such controversy as we have seen doesn't surprise me in the slightest, but. I also need to personally sort of take a step back and just sort of breathe and think this is just a video game. Although it's a video game based on real life events, that's all it is. It's just, it's a video game. And I think that's where the controversy comes in is because as soon as the trailer gets released, you get all these videos that analyze every single detail of the trailer. And because of those videos being pushed out to actually please all those people who care about that stuff, because the analysis takes such a strong hold of it all, people just they instantly latch on to something that they don't like, and then that's it. From that moment on, Call of Duty is just it's immediately in deficit. It's like you haven't even played or seen the game. All you've seen is a two and a half minute trailer that gave you, you know, some like rendered footage and maybe a tiny, tiny snippet of gameplay, and then you watched a video that was just super analytical of it all and that somehow means that there is a sweeping generalization to be made of the game itself before it even comes out which it's not even coming out until the 3rd of november so how can we all make this judgment now based solely on the content that has come out in the past well basically 24 hours really when you think about it it's only been just over 24 hours but we've had so much stuff come out because it is Call of Duty and it is one of the biggest and most consistent in terms of recent releasing franchises we've had you know the past a couple of generations so it's just there's so much to the situation and this is all coming from just a bloody trailer and an hour-long stream of an announcement 
of a game that is just going back to what people wanted. That's all it is. And yet you get this, it bloats out into such an extent. It's just so weird to me. It's the problem with the internet. Um, it's like everyone has, someone I was going to say, yeah, everyone has um, opinions. Mm. Um, yeah, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that people can't voice their opinions. They absolutely have the right to do so. But it's when we make opinions of entire games based on a trailer and yeah yeah, you know it's just and this isn't limited to call of duty by any means this is basically this is as i'm myself here making a sweeping generalization this is across the entire board of games and has been for a considerable amount of time and it's a shame that we've actually come to this this level but it's what comes with generations that offer us so much information before we've even started playing the game when all this information is open to us it's so easy to just blow up with it i think yeah, I to, um, I, sorry go ahead charles i just say i used to choose a game based on its cover if i look look good when i was a kid <laughs> yeah i've done that yeah. um i think the the interesting thing about it uh, for me is that or frustrating thing I should say is that a headline like that to say that a game is um, sexist in some way or you know uh, equally well any kind of discriminatory content or uh, you know that that kind of uh, accusation to be leveled at a game that's something I want to take deadly seriously and Mm -hmm. find out about and Mm. try to you know um, try to spread the word on to promote better inclusivity and, and all that kind of aspect of, mm. of developing of video games yeah. so that everyone can enjoy them as much as I do. Mm. And the frustrating thing for me is that it's almost inevitable now that a game as big as Call of Duty releases a trailer and the past couple of years we've had trailers come out and you know, oh the, this trailer for Call of Duty has more dislikes than likes shock horror isn't it ridiculous you know isn't isn't is call of duty finally over and there's this whole uh, aspect of trying to uh shout down call of duty trying to uh proclaim its death before it's you know way before its time um mm. and so my reaction to there being this story about sexism from one trailer and an hour of a stream of a game is and it's awful that I should feel this way but my reaction is that's just a tabloid headline grabbing attention mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I should want to read that article and find out what the, what the problem is why has a game with an hour and two minutes of footage out there already managed to trigger this sort of reaction and get the word out about it and see if you know the developers can be encouraged to change whatever it is but that's not my reaction because there's tabloids the only word I can think to to use this tabloid attitude towards trying to stir up controversy and outrage about anything that's successful mm. and big or you know in the news currently um, and and it, it's starting to feel like the boy who cried wolf mm-hmm. and I, I hate that I feel that way yeah about I agree yeah. Um, yeah, it's a shame. It's better to be first and right. <laughs> Attitude. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a real shame. Uh, yeah. I think it's enough Call of Duty. <laughs> yeah, that, that went on for a lot longer than I anticipated, to be fair. <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to have to cut this uh, this new section down quite a lot. So, what I will say is the... Uh, Picking out here, the, the new Nintendo 2DS XL uh, launches on 28th of July. I don't know who added this, but I only saw this about um, two hours ago. Yeah. I, I, I saw it today, and I only added it because we were all kind of assuming that they were Nintendo were keeping the 3DS going just until they knew whether the Switch was successful enough. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 3DS and 2DS are clearly still so successful, especially in Japan, but worldwide, mm. that, yeah brand new version it's a clamshell um it's bigger and obviously has the same dual screen functionality but doesn't have the 3d um and i i I don't know i haven't looked into whether it's got the same upgraded processor etc uh so to be able to run uh uh, xena gear it was that required it wasn't it i i believe it it would be i assume it would be because it's got the whole new as part of the name yeah Uh, it's it's got the branded new nintendo uh, on it so Yeah. yeah Because Just this is the it was first, interesting. Yeah, yeah. In, in first clamshell, two DS. Yeah, it? the two DS was was a sort of a flat single piece before. So yeah, yeah. It's a very slick looking piece of hardware. It's I really the nice. Yeah, the sort of two tone <laughs> grey and orange and and blue and black looks really nice. Yeah, it's surprising though because um, yeah, it came seems to come from nowhere as you said. Yeah. And that they're still yeah drawing out. The, the sales for it um, yeah. a friend of mine mentioned that it could be that you know they're trying to give an option a new option to those who can't afford a Nintendo Switch sure yep but yeah, definitely if you're going to drop that much money on a new old console it's not that much more to get to the Switch mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 I mean I'd be surprised to see just how many people buy it uh, considering the switch hasn't been out that long mm. so it would be really interesting to see when it does launch just how many people actually buy it um the, yeah the cool thing they did mention in their trailer the video for it is that it's got a it does a back a big backlog of games and it does and so i guess it's to get a console that you could buy as your kind of legacy console uh to uh to kind of pick up all those old games um, yeah sure virtual console is pretty uh pretty mm-hmm. decent on there so yeah mm, getting yeah. rid of them would be pretty good yeah mm. yeah definitely yeah. Mm. Well, um, on the on the switch on the nintendo news might as well jump down quickly to uh nintendo ship 2.74 million switches in march yeah that was in the in the first month of of release the that's official mm. figures because that had been mooted previously um mm. there'd been some unofficial figures suggesting that they'd hit more than i think 2.4 million but the official figure is now 2.74 million switches mm. and 2.76 million copies of zelda on switch so 200 220,000 people extra bought yeah, uh, yeah. bought zelda without having a switch well i know cole ross from um, bonfire side chat mm. did he had the he had the um what do you call it zelda for a good couple of weeks before he managed to find a, a switch yeah yeah i think a couple of people it's it's excitement of of new console etc and knowing that breath of the wild's a game you want to play on it mm. a couple of people i've heard say yeah i've picked up the game and i'll get a switch whenever i can because obviously if you didn't get a pre-order in a lot of places you couldn't get one so mm-hmm. it's a case of waiting for stock to come in mm. yeah yeah totally yeah that is funny yeah but decent decent uh figures it seems so. hmm. 
and, and there is a kind of for me personally it does make me laugh how we all sort of moan about Nintendo and everything but when a new a new Nintendo machine comes out there's so many people that buy it so it just obviously I'm over the moon that Nintendo have managed to shift this many units and it is incredible they've managed to do that and this is exactly how I wanted it to be for them rather than selling absolutely nothing so to, yeah. for them to, to have this level of success absolutely fantastic it just it does make me laugh how this it's all we seem to do as like a collective community is just we moan about Nintendo so much yeah. and yet when the new Nintendo machine comes out everybody's buying it and it just I don't know there's something about that that is quite funny to me but just yeah yeah but I, th- I think that's why people moan is because so many people have for one console or another such fond memories of Nintendo tied directly into their love of gaming that they just want Nintendo to do what they consider the right or smart thing to be and mm. in some cases Nintendo make decisions that don't look on the face of it to be terribly forward thinking mm. to, to put kind of not too fine a point on it um, you know I'm sure we can all think of things Nintendo have done in terms of their online services or you know friend lists or whatever it might be mm. um, that kind of look a bit daft and uh, and just don't want to see them suffer because of it mm. and thankfully it doesn't look like they are this you know the switch seems to be a success mm. definitely and it's good to see that it really is yeah. Yeah, I think so. yeah um well i think because as cliff rightly mentioned um he did mention on the show that i am always conscious of time and that i call him out for it so i'm calling you out directly cliff i'm being conscious of time all right so get off my case <laughs> <laughs> um so i think we should probably actually get into yeah. what we've been playing so Absolutely. Yep. So, uh, James, I'd like you to uh, explain about Mr. Shifty because I've heard a lot of things about this, and I'd be interested to know your opinions on it. Um. So, Mr. Shifty was the first time I heard or saw anything of it was in the Nintendo Direct, the Nindies Direct, I should say, hmm. um, that they put out about like a week before the Switch came out. I think um, they had kind of a showcase of. Uh, indie independent uh, games that were coming to the, the Switch mm. and one of them was a top down action game in the mould slash vein of Hotline Miami I think mm. is kind of the touchstone that most people would recognise mm-hmm. um, I, I always kind of go back to original Grand Theft Auto as my top down mm-hmm. uh, action game of choice or, or touchstone of choice but yeah um, but in this case, the notable thing about it is that the character is wearing a blue trench coat and orange cap and is teleporting around the room uh, in a rather Nightcrawler-esque fashion. Um, and the game plays like that. It's really fun just to be able to you know, be surrounded by enemies pointing weapons at you and with a, with a single button press, you've bamfed out of there and into another room or behind one of them. And uh, and you know tricked enemies into shooting one another or just mm. disappeared from their view and sort of zipped out of sight. Uh, and it, yeah, it's really fun. It's really uh, snappy. And um, yeah, I, I played through it in like six hours or so. Uh, when I was playing it, it felt like a longer game than I expected. Mm. Um, but but it was only like six hours to to completion. Um, 
because so if you imagine playing Hotline Miami with the ability just to teleport, mm-hmm. you know, a fixed distance, but at any time and essentially almost unlimited. There is a, a meter there, so you can only uh, teleport five times in a in quick succession before you need to stop and let your meter recharge. But if you're not sort of teleporting five times in a row, then you can kind of do it as much as you like. Um, that sounds overpowered, and it, it would be. So they've changed aspects of how the game works. You, you can't pick up any guns, for example. You're only dealing with melee attacks mm. um, and a couple of thrown weapons, but but no actual, you know, um, uh, no guns or anything like that. So, um, and the other thing is that enemies pretty much always know where you are like when you first walk into a room they don't but mm-hmm. as soon as one enemy's seen you pretty much every enemy is going to be bearing down upon you um and if you zip into another room they'll look where they last saw you but as soon as they know you're no longer there they come straight to you even yeah. if there's five doors to choose from they will come to your door as it were mm-hmm. um which is obviously a contrivance to make sure that you can't just teleport out of danger and that's it because mm-hmm. it would just give way too much power to the player mm. um, but what it means is you're always being hunted but because you can teleport you've always got the upper hand which in Hotline Miami my sort of gut feeling throughout the whole game was just this being a sense of being out of control everything about it was just completely out of control you don't know what's going on uh, you know one wrong move and you're dead um, overwhelming odds against you it just all felt like a, a, you were clinging on by your fingertips and the game was just kind of taking you on this wild ride um, whereas in, in this case the overwhelming f- overwhelming feeling for me was these enemies don't stand a chance even in rooms where I'm dying like 10-20 times hmm. it it just felt like well I can always teleport out of the way. You know, I'm always in control. These enemies just, all right, they've got guns, so what? They can't touch me, you know, um, which is a really different feeling. But, yeah, it's really snappy. I, I enjoyed it. Um, it lacks, like everything does, the overall aesthetic, you know, of of something like Hotline Miami, you know, mm. the, everything about that game kind of came together between music and visuals. Oh, it's incredible. Design and everything. Yeah. Um, and and this game doesn't really have that to that that degree. There's some kind of like clever dialogue, etc. To me, it felt more like a, a gunpoint in that respect, but mm-hmm. without the really witty dialogue that the gunpoint had. Mm. Um, but it's kind of trying for more of that. Uh, but yeah, good fun, well designed game. Um, it runs a bit poorly in some sections on Switch, but not to the point where I was ever struggling. Hmm. Um, I was going to ask you if you're playing it on hmm. the Switch or the of the Wii U, because I, I didn't actually um, ask you if you had a Switch yet. So, uh, Yeah, so the, yeah. the three games that I've popped down on my um, on my on what I've been playing are hmm. all uh, Switch versions. Hmm. Uh, it's also on PC. Right. Um, but yeah, it came out on Switch. I'm after stuff to play on the Switch because I just want to play as much as possible. Mm. Same. on it at the moment yeah. 
Yeah. It's, um, it looks good. It's one I want to pick up, but I had a feeling that you'd be playing it, so I bought, I chose some other indie games for mm, my list mm. this week. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I can recommend it to anyone who, who likes kind of uh, that style of, of action game. Um, and, and they throw in stuff like laser grids and turrets and all sorts of other stuff to kind of um, keep you on your toes. Um, I guess in terms of the teleporting, the best thing I can equate it to is uh, the Velocity games on uh, PlayStation mm-hmm. uh, and on PC, I guess. Um, but the teleport function in there um, is is almost identical, kind of fixed radius teleporting, um, but in any direction. Mm. Cool. I love the name, though. I like that they just didn't, didn't try to make it really cool. It's just really cheesy. And, mm. Yeah, like and that, that's the character's name in the game. It's just shifty. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Yeah, I'm down with that. Totally. I've I've definitely been interested in this. It looks really good. And Hotline mm-hmm. Miami was just it was basically a masterclass in how to do that yeah. kind of game. So it's I'm surprised it's taken so long to actually see a kind of not necessarily a Hotline Miami clone, but something that uh, is because well, it's not. Was sorry, go on. hard was it? Yeah, the I did where, the one where you had to uh, mm. break up the. Kill everyone at the party without being noticed. Basically, it was something to do with um, your neighbours and partying, and yeah, you were yeah. trying to sleep or something, wasn't it? I had, yeah, yeah. So you went and tried yeah. to kill everyone before the police got called. Hmm. Um, so yeah, there have been a few games that have taken some things from it, I guess. Hmm. Um, yeah, and ar- arguably the style and soundtrack of Fury owed quite a bit to Hotline Miami, I would say. Hmm. Yeah, um, I can see that. Yeah, but but yeah, this one I think that's kind of the most obvious uh, point of comparison. Um, mm. And the the problem, of course, is like comparing something to Dark Souls, comparing something to Hotline Miami is kind of setting it up for failure mm. in some ways. And mm. the fact that this doesn't outright fail in any respect is kind of a testament to the, the job that they've done. I think mm. someone needs to tell that statement to Namco. I was yeah. about yeah I was about to say the the, dif- <laughs> the difference here being that Dark Souls has actually been set up to fail by Bandai Namco due to the poor marketing <laughs> of Dark Souls Three, so that was well, and yeah we talked about last week about the code vein to create a dying oh like don't even it. get me started was, was Lords of the Fallen not published by them as well no, uh, no I don't think it was no I don't no. think so no I'd have to check but I don't think so in the Googles now yeah yeah. I don't think so but I'm definitely interested in Mr. Shifty it's got a kind of a gameplay that I I don't play Ubisoft. I don't play oh was it was it no Square Enix yeah, CI. CEU though yeah CI Games and Ubisoft were the publishers uh, and yet on the hmm. cover it's got a Bandai Namco oh there were just... oh, it does too yeah, yeah who knows they were distributed apparently <laughs> All right. Maybe okay. they maybe they took it to Japan. The other way around. Possibly. Possibly. Who knows? It s- yeah. sounds like they distributed it, so they had some hand yeah. in it. But yeah, we can't yeah. blame them entirely. Mm. No. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that's a very offhand way. I didn't like Lords of the Fallen. Apologies to anyone who did. Richard. Richard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I liked it, but it it definitely wasn't what. Bearing in mind that the first time I ever tried to play Lords of the Fallen was before I'd ever played a Dark Souls game. I kind of played it in preparation for Bloodborne, 
whether that's you know i mean that's that's quite a, a weird statement to say and i feel a bit sort of disgusting saying it if i'm honest but i i played laws of the fallen to kind of prepare myself for bloodborne i don't know, I, I feel like i should be incarcerated for that that's disgusting but yeah it, it was all right but after yeah, having funny. yeah after having played all of the souls games bar demon souls uh rich's favorite game um bar demon <laughs> souls I can definitely see where the issues come in. I kind of like the aesthetic just because, it, for me, it's just like wandering around a, a metal album, but that's just me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but Lords of the Fallen was definitely not very good. But, yeah. God, I seem to have been like possessed by the spirit of Richard there. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to hand it over to you, Vader, because I want to know why you were put on this list. Ukulele is bad. Oh, <laughs> that was more of a joke. I talked about it enough last week, um, but I hadn't played much of it. I really want to like this game. It's it's it does have some charm, and it looks really pretty because it's so colourful and bright, which is a nice offset to all these dark and grim games that seem to be coming out all the time. Hmm. Um, but it's just it's the gameplay. I just did a boss, and it was up a ramp, and he's shooting um, uh, logs down, ro- rolling logs down at you. And about two inches past below the ramp, it, the camera shifts to like go its own, point the opposite direction. So, yeah, it's just bad camera thing. And so the camera's constantly flicking. Then you're trying to go up the ramp, you get hit, you get forced to slide all the way down. And then the camera shifts. <laughs> you can't see what you're doing. Then you got to turn. And it does the thing that old games do. Where you push up, the camera changes, and so your guy turns around and goes the other way because yeah, the camera's now yeah, changed. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. And so you like you often I was flicking three times between the camera angles. It's I don't know like I, the rest of the other games on my list are all indie, quite small niche games, and a paying homage to old games, hmm. but still feel not modern and fun. Whereas yeah. this just feels like they've completely just taken everything from a old 3D game and just put shiny 1080 graphics on it. Bad camera is one of those things where, especially for third-person platformers, 3D platformers, I should say, we've, we've passed the point where it's acceptable to have that bad a camera, surely. Yeah. Mm. This isn't Ukulele Blood Dragon where they try and convince you that their bad game design is actually a joke about bad game design. Mm. That's just... That, how can you not see that in a boss fight that you surely must have tested? Mm. That there's going to be camera problems in your game, and do something about it. You know, fix the camera for the boss fight. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Do something. Yeah, it's the the. the I mentioned again last week. Though the camera is always trying to overrule you, so mm. you can control the camera with your right analog stick, but you, the movement dictates. Yeah, you, you're trying to adjust one way, and it's pulling the other. Yeah, and it actually makes me feel nauseous because everything blurs because yeah. it's mm. fighting you. And yeah. I was. On a case, um, I was like on these, you know, floating platforms. You know, you get in 3D platform games, and I try to jump between them. And I was in the, there's three of them. I was in the middle one, and as it went to the first one I came from, the camera would shift and point towards it. And as you rotate back <laughs> to the, the the one you're trying to get to, it's like it's like constantly turning backwards and forwards, like one of those uh, clown faces that you see at the at the carnivals where you mm-hmm. put them up the ping pong balls in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it's just ridiculous, like just shifting, and you can't focus on what you're trying to do because the camera is constantly moving. Oh, such and, a shame. Yeah, um, but there's, 
yeah has a lot of as i say a lot of charm i really like that you can like eat like berries like ice berries and fire berries and it changes the tips of your um i don't know what you call them like your hands and not your ears you know like lizard, lizard frills mm-hmm. <laughs> that's on the back of his head uh they change color to match the the berry you've eaten and I, it looks really cool and i like the aesthetic and look of it but there's just so much bad game design in this in this game mm. they haven't yeah, modernized it's just such it at all a shame because 3d platforms have taken a bit of a, a battering in people's collective memories it seems mm. um and i know several fans darren and kane rinse a massive yeah. fan specifically of the banjo kazooie games and so this group of people coming together everybody who remembers those games fondly just had so much hope that you know these are the people who've done it before they're coming back to it again how can this not be everything you hope it's going to be and that's unreasonable expectation perhaps but it's just such a shame that it seems like this hasn't hit well there's just some really the way they wanted it to yeah there's just some really simple fundamental things that they as you said they should have picked up in testing like mm. and, and that that must be hard if you're kickstarting a game to have the ability that a big publisher or a big developer has to just put it through hundreds of thousands of hours of qa before Mm -hmm. it actually goes out the door by having a qa team on site during development Mm. um but yeah it's it's a real shame yeah it is a shame because they've taken a risk this these guys you know the experienced game developers they've broken off and started a studio of their own i want it to succeed and that's why i bought the game because i I've never played the Banjo Kazooie game, so mm. I bought it because I wanted to, and hope for them to do well. But yeah, and mm. I thought my kids would like it, but I don't think the controls are actually tight enough for my kids to be bothered playing it. To be honest, mm. I think it's just going to be too complicated and hard, and and too imprecise mm. to to get to, to be able to get through successfully. Yeah, it's it's the camera that seems to be for me one of the biggest issues because having played quite a few 3d platformers in my time the camera it seems to be just like a common issue and you would have thought that with that with 3d platformers coming into that kind of that era with with banjo kazooie and everything we kind of you know we went through like the ps2 era and then you had the 360 era and now we're in this generation so that's kind of something that should have really been ironed out in my opinion to the extent where we shouldn't necessarily be getting these problems maybe the odd thing here and there but not to the extent where it has to be a main point that we use to actually use against the game yeah yeah and that is such a shame like in in 20 years of these games that's something that there should be some kind of work around yeah i don't develop games i can't imagine how hard it is to get a camera right in oh, the game definitely and, yeah. and there there are more than the fair share of third person action games and 3d platformers that have camera troubles right mm. up until you know modern games mm. that show that it must be incredibly difficult yeah it doesn't make it any less frustrating to play though mm. well, well, thing, it's it? not even just the camera if they just stopped controlling it like give me the control yeah. like i'm a big mm. boy now i can i can handle two analog sticks that's all they needed to do it's mm. that and i can't imagine that's that hard okay it can't be hard it must be harder to program the game to constantly pass the camera as well i'm sure it must be easier to leave it in the player's control dark souls did it <laughs> yeah 
Mm, I mean, the, the fact that they haven't m makes me think, well, there must be a reason why that doesn't work. I just, I don't know what it is. Well, <laughs> I, can, I can't uh, think why. But... Well, yeah, yeah, and I don't expect you to have the answer. Um, it just seems like they're just trying to force you to see what they want to see. Yeah. Or, or that you need to, like, it does the thing when you go into a new area where it will, like, take the camera away from you Pans and it will, like, show yeah. you the mm -hmm. whole level. Mm -hmm. It's like, let me find that. I yeah. want to find that. I've always hated that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's the same thing. Like, so if you walk around a corner, it wants to show you that there's a, a platform there you can jump on. Mm -hmm. But, and it, yeah, it's just like, it's pandering, I guess. It's yeah. trying to spoon feed you the game. Yeah. And that's such a shame because one of my sort of my biggest, fondest memories of this genre of game is that kind of that self-discovery of actually oh yeah that i came around this corner and i found this isn't this wicked and it, to me that just they kind of seem to be taking that away and feeding it to you on a plate and thinking i don't want that i want as this character or these characters in this world that you've given me i want to be able to actually have the agency to go out and just find the world that you have created for me to explore there's no point in creating a world and then saying this is the world we created look at this thing over here well that's not really what i wanted i wanted to, yeah. you to create the world with this thing in it and then say we've made this world just go out and do what you want and then i am yeah i'm given the actual the freedom to do that and go and find it for myself it just seems to kind of take the I don't know the self gratification away from you when it's just showed to you in a cutscene. It just it doesn't make any sense to me. Well, on that note, sho uh, spoiler: shovel knights in this game. <laughs> I heard something um, about this, and that they did the exact same thing. Like, it's a bit silly that he's there, to be fair. But they, as I said, it was I was in this jungle world. It's the first world you go to, and I completed most of it, and you can expand it. And so I expanded it, came back to the jungle world, and it does the whole show me the area. And there's Shovel Knight just standing there on, on a ledge. And it's like, well, that would have actually been more enjoyable if I went around the corner and was like, oh, the Shovel Knight. <laughs> mm. But I knew where he was. I went straight there as soon as it let me control the game again and talked to Shovel Knight. And yeah, mm. the dialogue's too bad in this game too. Some games do it well where they kind of break the fourth wall or talk about mm. the game being a game, whereas this is just trying. It seems like it's really forced, really ham fisted. Mm. It's like, I'm still trying to get used to this third dimension. It's like, oh, come on. Mm. <laughs> um, I didn't like it. But yeah, Shovel Knight's in there in, in, in its 3D glory. Mm. Nice but to, does nothing. To, nice to see Shovel Knight just become this kind of iconic character like this popping up in other games. Mm. You know, we've and had, I like, do. Meat Boy and stuff pop up in other indie games, and there's been that kind of culture of indie developers putting their characters into other games. Is that mm. it's just nodding a wink, but the yeah. fact that Shovel Knight, you know, you can get an amiibo of, and it's just become this for for it's such a great game, but a weird character mm. uh, to become kind of so instantly recognizable that the ukulele devs would want to put him in the game is just. Mm. I, I do like that and I agree I like mm. when um, de um, developers uh, are willing to share their their characters yeah, and yeah. stuff it can mm. create a lot of fun and so I like that I just I don't like how you can only used it sure yeah yeah. <laughs> um, yeah that's enough I want to talk about good games <laughs> <laughs> um, well I will talk about a game I've been playing um, so 
I would actually kind of like to slightly retract a statement that I made on, on the previous show I was on. Last time I was on, I had played Killer7, and I said at the time that I wanted a game that had actually would make me want to get into playing games again, because I was having a bit of a an off period with games, and I said that Killer7 hadn't done that. As it turns out, Killer7 kind of has done that because it made me want to go and play killer is dead which is a game that i've had in the collection for a little while now probably about six months and it have been sitting there and i thought well i don't necessarily want to play it because i wanted to do killer 7 first because to me although it's not a direct sequel it seems to be a, a kind of ish spiritual successor to it to an extent yeah um so once Killer 7 was done, I was sitting there and I, as much as Killer 7, frankly, pissed me the fuck off, I, I kind of, I really enjoyed it and it stayed in my mind for a few days. After we finished the last episode I was on, I kept thinking about it and I thought, I'm not going back to Killer 7 because it fucking infuriated me. So, what I will do is I'll go to Killer is Dead. And so I went there and what I got was... A rather fun hack and slash game that was a pretty bloody short i must admit because i managed to finish the entire story in five hours and 39 minutes which was pretty i was not expecting that b it had it's just got that very typical i don't know sort of japanese art style where it's always very I don't know, very over exaggerated and you know, yeah, the whole stylized, yeah. yeah, very over stylized. And you know, you can really sort of see the the swipes of your sword and everything. You can really sort of get a feel for the combat and actually feel like you're connecting with these enemies when you're fighting them. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely follows the Suda 51 trend in that if you were to ask me a single thing about the story. I couldn't fucking explain it to you at all. I could not explain it to you because I also downloaded, uh, I think it was last week, they uh, did a re-release of Suda51's The Silver Case on the PS4. They did, yeah. Yes, they did, which I was kind of under the radar because I didn't really hear anybody else talking about it. Um, so I think the reason might be that it is that it actually it came to PC last August mm, or it, autumn last year. Or it was on like Steam, that. wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think had it come to PS4 and PC at the same time, there might have been more noise made. But mm, yeah, probably because yeah. it's never been released in the in the West no. until this point. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I had actually I got that and I tried to to play it and tried to get into it, but it was one of those where it was three o'clock in the morning. And I was bloody knackered. So just this, yeah. the kind of story it was trying to tell me, I took one look at it and thought, nah, this just this is this is not happening now. So I put that to one side. I do intend to get back to that. Um but so get back to Killer is Dead. It just I really enjoyed although I didn't understand a bit of it, I did enjoy the story because it was it was at least slightly more cohesive than Killer Seven. That's not really saying much, but I certainly, I certainly enjoyed the story a bit more. Um, so the combat just felt absolutely fantastic. The music was just stellar. Just really fit the situation that you were in. Uh, not all the time, but nine times out of ten, it just really fit the situation that you are in. Um, 
and just to be able to just completely breeze through it was incredible really I genuinely did not expect it to take me that amount of time I really thought it was going to be because Kidder 7 was, was a long game it took me about 18 19 hours I guess oh. something like that to finish it whereas Killer is Dead like I said it took me just 6 hours and that's just a, I completely just mainlined the the actual story I only did one of the side missions and side missions most of them are just sort of combat challenges and everything. There are some side missions in this game that I do want to talk about because, frankly, I don't believe they have a place in this game. And they are called, what are they called? Uh, gigolo missions or something yeah. like that. And they are absolutely ridiculous. To... I think these received a lot of attention when the game came out yeah. uh, in a very negative light. Yeah, uh, I'm not surprised at all. It completely deserves the negative attention. It is ridiculous to have a system that offers you, I think it's weapon upgrades. I only did one of them just to see what it was like and just to see what it gave me So for, for the purposes of conversation, essentially. I did one. I can't remember what the upgrade was or the weapon I got, but essentially the point of these missions is to oh, for want of a better term chat up women and you your main character who is brilliantly named was some rondo zapper or something like that it's a ridiculous name stupid yeah, M- mondo zapper mondo zapper yeah. that's the one thank you yeah um he has this, this pair of sunglasses i can't believe i'm actually saying this it's ridiculous so he's got this pair of sunglasses and you have an option during these missions to uh, press a button, I can't remember which button it is, and he puts on these glasses and these glasses for some reason give you a kind of x-ray vision where you can look beneath um, the woman's clothing and actually see her in her underwear but you have to do this at a time when she's not trying to look at you and make eye contact with you and then you gain points from doing that and the more points you get um the bigger like your meter increases and you eventually you get to a stage where you win the stage and you get the upgrade this kind of mission has no place in this game it is fucking stupid it is so unbelievably offensive and i just i thought it was shit I felt bad just doing that one thing. I had heard about these things prior to playing this game. I wanted to experience it once just, like I said, for the purposes of bringing it up to the table. But I have not done any more of these. I do not intend to. They are absolutely bollocks. And I don't understand this whole... uh, This seeming fascination with demoralizing women in Suda51's games. It seems to be a kind of a running theme throughout his games. I haven't played all of them admittedly, so I can't sort of say, oh, they're in every single one of his games, because that's just, I have no idea. But in the, the two that I have played to completion, women are treated like just utter terrible beasts in these games, and I don't believe it has a place. I think it is ridiculous to even concede this idea and think that this is a good idea to put in a video game I don't understand why it's there and it, it completely detracted from the fun that I had actually had with the game because up until that point it had been a lot of fun I, the story was just don't have a clue what was going on but the combat in itself and the way that it was kind of cel shaded and just the, mm. the graphics of it was kind of 
not necessarily it wasn't primitive but by because it was on because i played it on the ps3 it just it didn't necessarily show off what the ps3 could do just put it that way but it it gave me enough to actually understand what was going on it had kind of funny camp characters and everything you know that's fine i can appreciate that but then when it got to this stage i thought this is just i have no interest in doing this and it kind of it really did knock my opinion of the game because mm. killer seven as weird and as batshit crazy as it is at least it doesn't give you missions where you have to the whole point of the mission is to se- sexually objectify women and that is that has no place in this at all it shouldn't be done anyway but just in a fucking game like this this is just ridiculous it's such a shame but the, just all that aside i can't help but just admit that i really did enjoy the game for for what it was for just a quick fun just i don't know fun romp of just hack and slash material it was it was really fun i couldn't really tell you anything else about it because it just it was pretty forgettable um primarily because it was so short you know i mean it didn't really have a lasting impact because i didn't spend that much time with it i mean i finished it in a day so and for a full length full priced game as it would have been back when it was first released obviously you've got the side missions to pad out and everything which is fine but the main storyline takes less than six hours and there are definitely there's definitely a place in the world for that kind of game like The Order 1886 that was a very short game I enjoyed that game I I played the shit out of it I absolutely loved it I thought it was brilliant so short games have just as much of a place in this world as long games but yeah I don't know It's this is a thing that just I can't put my finger on what it is that really gripes me about it apart from all of that but there's just something about it where I feel like there is there is some kind of politics that is trying to come through in his games. I don't know what it is. I don't know how to explain it. All I know is I don't like it and it has no place being in there. So I'm sorry to kind of bring the tone down slightly, but... No, no, that's fine. No. As I say, this kind of didn't dominate but was certainly a very significant part of what I remember the discussion being when the game came out um, I, I can almost guarantee I know your your response to this but um, I haven't played the game and uh, I certainly don't want to try and defend the inclusion of this but what I do remember hearing at the time was uh, and I don't know whether this came from uh, Suda51 himself or whether this was uh, someone else's supposition is that uh, Mondo Zappa is supposed to be a James Bond-style character, and mm. obviously that character, as certainly represented in the 60s and 70s films, mm-hmm. um, is a misogynist. I don't. Mm-hmm. I hope no one thinks that's me throwing shade on the character of James Bond in any way. I think it's pretty self-explanatory that by mm. today's standards, the character is misogynistic in the way that he treats women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think that's controversial to say. No. Um, and so the, not even defence, but the 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 positive theory was that if Mondo Zappa is supposed to be a James Bond style character, he is someone who has a similar attitude towards women. Mm. I assume that you didn't feel that way, otherwise you wouldn't be saying 
you know that you had such a reaction to mm. to that game mode I did not once make the James Bond connection um, mm. I mean so with James Bond I can certainly see that James Bond as a character is quite misogynistic but I feel like the way that it is conveyed in the films is mm. although it doesn't necessarily make it right it is kind of tongue in cheek to an extent there is kind of like a, a level of humour in there where in today's society you could certainly sort of take a different spin on it but back then there is a level of humour in there which kind of yeah means certainly you... in Roger Moore era it's all definitely everything's played for yeah, yeah laughs or amusement yeah. Some yeah definitely and James Bond as a character obviously he is supposed to be a bloated out version of this particular kind of character so each actor brings their own sort of different take on it and whatnot mm. so you kind of you get different aspects coming from different actors but generally as a whole apart from maybe possibly the more recent sort of daniel craig films because they are slightly more serious but sure. james bond as a whole is kind of taken with a pinch of salt so although he is misogynistic you can kind of see the level of humor that comes along with it whereas Oh, and that's also that's kind of given towards him in the character with the fact that he comes across as being a very sort of suave kind of arrogant to an extent character mm-hmm. who yeah. you know mm-hmm. feel, feels like he is kind of God's gift to women but with Mondo you do not get that impression at all there is no the writing in this game does not give you enough substantial evidence for you to say that Mondo is he's, he's a funny sort of japes character or anything like that, or he's a sarcastic character, or he's a bit of a schmooze, or anything like that. He's basically he's a nonplussed character. He, he, there isn't that much characterization to him. Yeah. There, there, it, there is a little bit, but it doesn't necessarily go into it to the extent where you could actually categorize him as this is the kind of character he is. He is basically just a character, not just you know, oh he's yeah he's kind of misogynistic, but you know he he's well in his heart's in the right place and all that there is none of that it's just his characterization comes into the fact that i think it's his left arm he's kind of got this this gun thing on it i don't know what it is but the characterization comes into kind of his relationship with his mother but then how he actually comes to have this robotic gun arm thing his mummy issues kind of but not really (laughs) but that's why he's pooping on the boobs partially but then i don't know i mean so he did there is a certain level of it that comes across as being he does kind of think that he is god's gift to women but that element of it isn't necessarily played to the extent where you could justify his behaviour towards these other characters. And the, no, the fact, I think we're taking a step further back. It's really just that Suda Fifty One is a bit of a perv, mm. so he makes his characters pervs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so just basing I'm, that on sort of Killer Seven and Killer is Dead, that is kind of the the impression I've got, but. I'm is... sure I've heard it said that someone asked him why he portrays he um, like he does has so much boobs in his games, and he said, "I like boobs." Was his answer? Well, yeah, but I mean, the, that's, sure that was him. It it might well have been the answer, but you know, if that is your answer, then fine, so be it. But just why do you have to put it in your games? Why do you have to have such I know overt sexualization 
of women. I mean, it was the same in Killer 7 when you had the character, I think it was Samantha, where she was portrayed as actually raping Harmon in his wheelchair. Why do you need to have that? Because it's not like it's explained or justified via any sort of I don't know, exposition or anything or a cutscene or just or anything. It's just this is what she's doing at this given time. And it is there is all the women that you seem to seduce in this gigolo mode, you know, you don't know these women, as far as I know. They're not really given any introduction or any sort of backstory. It's just, mm. you know, this is a female for you to sexually objectify. And I don't think that the character is extended enough to where you could actually write this thing off as being just kind of a tongue-in-cheek joke. It is played... Yeah in such a serious vein especially with the fact that when you put the glasses on he can see through their clothing i think that's a completely unnecessary feature Mm. if you want to have that kind of feature you could have easily had something it's kind of it goes back to the whole um metal gear solid peace walker thing as well when you have the the date with paz you know why couldn't you have actually had a feature where you just you got to know the character you got to speak to the character you got to understand the character to a more human level rather than just this is a female who must be objectified to such an extent you know it's it's not necessary at all yeah agree yeah yeah so it was really weird but i i wanted to try and make sure i got that one in here just because it was sure. a yeah. direct sort of follow up to the killer 7 thing but it's just yeah the game itself was fun but as soon as I played that stuff, it just completely, just I don't know, made me take a step back and think. I just I don't know what this game is anymore. So one thing I did want to ask in that respect: um, Are all of those missions entirely optional? Yes. Yeah, they are um, optional. Do you yeah. get any indication of what that mission's going to be before you start playing it? So could someone reasonably opt out of all of those missions? without being told they probably don't want to see those missions um the way that it's laid out is the 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 missions kind of take place they're kind of pinpointed at different points on the globe and Mm. so you've got different kinds of missions there's different most of them are challenge missions i think there's only four of these missions these gigolo missions in total um but it does actually say to you in the little description in the box that comes up when you hover over it that it is this specific kind of mission so you can easily i mean i managed to finish the entire game um with i only did one of them and that was just because that was when it was first introduced as a mechanic for you to engage in so i did one just because i wanted to see what it was like after i saw what it was i didn't do any of the other ones and i managed to finish the game with ease i mean it was i can't remember well, what diff- and as you said you can't remember what weapon upgrade you got so exactly didn't yeah. make that much of a difference no so no it is entirely optional and yeah. definitely not compulsory to actually do these right. missions so you can definitely opt out of them if you want to but that doesn't exclude uh that doesn't excuse the actual inclusion of them of in the first place yeah. so yeah yeah, yeah. just yeah. might be something to bear in mind for anyone listening who wants to go and Mm. yeah i mean if if you want to actually play the game i'd say i recommend the game on the base level that the combat is fun the story although it won't make sense to you 
is kind of engaging with some characters that you could kind of get a laugh out of or just something out of. You definitely don't have to do these missions if if you don't want to. Mm. Um, it's certainly not integral to actually finishing the game, so you could definitely get enough out of the game because I think it's on Xbox One backwards compatibility now. So if you were to pick it up, you could definitely just finish it in a weekend not worry about any of those missions and come out of the weekend saying i played this game and i certainly enjoyed my time with it so that is definitely a possibility so yeah but that's a that's my heavy moment done for the for this episode <laughs> yeah i just a few I, moments in this yeah, episode i just i had to get that one out there so ah, right i'm done with that one James, please tell me about Graceful Explosion Machine. Uh, Graceful Explosion Machine is a essentially a shmup in terms of how you're controlling the ship. Um, it's essentially a shoot 'em up, but it's not side-scrolling in the way that you would know something like Cinemora to be or whatever. Hmm. Um, you've got a field of play and if you go off one side you come back if you go off the right hand side you come back on the left and vice versa right um, so in in terms of the field of play it's more like a twin stick shooter like geometry wars um and uh, it's brightly colored on the switch as, as mentioned previously um and you have uh four different weapons you can use to fire on your ships and you are just bombarded by waves of enemies um, in a, and it's a score attack style game there's a, there's a series of levels through uh, four worlds each with nine levels I believe um, and each level has uh, three waves of enemies essentially um, and the first goal is to survive but you can chain multiplier combo scores together um, to try and build your score to be as, as big as possible. Hmm. Um, the four weapons, the standard one is a, a blaster, which can overheat if you use it too much, um, but is otherwise unrestricted. And then the three other weapons, one is a 360-degree sword around your ship that, that can attack close-up enemies. Um, another is a series of lock-on missiles, which will just attack the nearest enemies to you. Uh, and the last one is a, a laser that fires pretty much right the way across the screen um, and can be used to take out big enemies. It does quite a lot of damage. Um, and each of those is on uh, a meter, which is powered up by gems that you collect from enemies you've killed, hence the initials of Graceful Explosion Machine. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's really colourful, really vibrant. Um, I've heard complaints about the art style being kind of... Um, very colourful and blocky and lacking in character. Um, I would equate it to, I don't know if either of you have played uh, the iOS and I think Android game Tilt to Live. Um, no. It's very bright in colour, uses a lot of geometric shapes for the enemies. Um, if two enemies are the same shape but one's bigger, then it's going to take more hits to kill. It's probably going to have a slightly different behavior pattern but it, it's got it in some ways it's quite a uh, logical or simplistic uh, aesthetic style but I, I really liked it there's um, a bit of um, kind of particle, particle effects going on almost not quite 
Mm. not um, Resogun style or anything like that, mm. but um, there's certainly some flourishes and lots of explosions again, hence the title. Um, uh, <laughs> and yeah, just really good fun, really tough in places. Um, it's got leaderboards built in, but unfortunately they seem to be really glitchy. Uh, I've right. got, in theory, two people on my friends list, at least I know that are playing this, uh, one of them shows up on a few of the leaderboards, and Darren from Caden Rinse doesn't show up on any at all. Uh, so it's kind of not always showing all of your friends, hmm. unfortunately, which is kind of the, once you've completed all the levels, is kind of the point of the game, yeah. is to want to score chase, and mm -hmm. you need the leaderboards to incentivize people to do that, really. Um, I mean, you can always go and beat your own score, but it's nice to have a, a bit of sort of uh, competition, or in my case, an idea of what scores are possible for an average gamer by looking at my friends list and seeing <laughs> how far I've got to go uh, to, to actually be decent at a game. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I Again, not a long game like Mr. Shifty, not a, a long game to play through. Uh, I guess, uh, yeah, like 36 levels to play through. Hmm. The first couple of tutorials. It very quickly gives you all of the weapons. The tutorials kind of take you through each weapon, so they're adding a different one in every sort of couple of waves or whatever, um, and it very quickly gets you up to speed. Um, I found that if I was getting into trouble, it's probably because I wasn't using all of the weapons I had or I'd forgotten that you have the ability to dash through enemies, um, but not bullets, so... Uh, again, that's on the meter, so you can't do it indefinitely, a bit like uh, Mr. Shifty, but mm -hmm. if you manage it well enough, you kind of can. Um, so, uh, so yeah, yeah, I, um, I had a whale of a time with that. I thought it was really good. Um, it's possibly... No, it's not going to satisfy a die-hard bullet hell shmup fan, mm. but if you are a fan of those kinds of games and, like me, aren't great at them, then this might just be something where you're a bit more adept and uh, tickles that kind of... A lot of consoles have a, a Geometry Wars or a Resogun mm -hmm. yeah. or a, a Super Stardust or whatever. That kind of uh, game where you're showing off a lot of what the console can do with a fairly simple arcade style shooter. Mm. This does that, and yeah, it's great. Uh, I, I, I really liked it for that. Um, Game, I think it's telling me on the Switch that uh, after my 10 days of waiting, it's telling me that I played uh, five hours or more, so about five, six hours, mm. I would guess. But yeah, mm. I think the um, the best thing about a game like that is definitely the portability of it. The fact that you can probably yeah. do a level or two while you're on the bus or something, so this definitely fits into the, yeah. the category of a portable game. I, I should say, actually, I didn't play any of it on the TV with this or Mr. Shifty, I played it all in handheld. Oh, right. uh, yeah. If I was doing my job as someone who speaks about games on some kind of public forum, I probably should have stuck it in, but I'm not reviewing these games, I'm just enjoying them, and yeah. handheld seemed perfect to me. So. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah, so however you feel you can enjoy it the most. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so this it's good to see that things are actually coming out for the Switch because that's always the worry with the new console. It's not just a console; it's just it's any hardware in general. Is actually being able to, yeah. you, fair enough, you can bring this hardware to the table, but how are you going to back it up? And I feel that's how the 
uh, PlayStation VR has actually suffered recently because it mm. was it was released yeah. last October, and we haven't really seen that much for it. I mean, obviously, it takes seven seemed like it was the after the launch mm. titles, it was the next one to reach for, and then yeah, that came out to a lot of a, a, a lot of plaudits. But yeah, yeah, I, I've gone from last October being incredibly jealous of people who had a PSVR to thinking, well. What would I actually be playing on? No, exactly. Right now, yeah, and that, that's probably not fair. I'm sure there are VR games coming out, but I'm just not hearing about them, and it's a mm. shame. Yeah, yeah, they're not as um, well spoken. Uh, yeah. I spoke about one last week that I really enjoyed, but that was a, a re-release of one that for it was released on Vive and right. Oculus Rift last year, mm. and it was ported to PlayStation Plus. That's fated to the Secret Oath. Yeah. Again, like with the the Switch, not so much the games I've spoken about, but getting uh, your Shovel Knights or you know uh, your Binding of Isaacs on there, even Mario Kart. You know, to some people, it's like, well, I've already played those games, but actually having them on the system. So yeah, if there's games that have come out for Vive or or Oculus, get them on the PSVR. If that if that fills the gap between the next you know Resident Evil Seven and whatever the next timed or fully exclusive game is mm. great there's extra games on there that a lot of people who have a psvr won't have been able to play yet yeah i, I really want to get super hot for playstation vr oh, mm. that game that yeah that was what the vr own. is great yeah, one of my favorite games and it just seems like yeah obviously you should be playing this in vr mm. um I, I still haven't played thumper either mm. um or or Res Infinite because those are games where I'm like, I might have a VR a VR headset one day. Maybe mm. I should wait yeah. to play them on that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Thumper and VR is quite the experience. I mm. bet. Yeah. 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 I mean, I would be interested to see if uh, Sony approach Red Barrels uh, for any VR related DLC for Outlast Two, considering how Resi Seven seemed to actually get such a a big fanfare around it for the yeah. vr stuff and you know it might have been difficult for a smaller company to develop something like that at the time that outlast 2 was in the development process mm. but now that the game's actually out if they could do just like a small piece of vr even if it's just vr exclusive dlc that to me even if it's a dlc is released for a game i like that I can't play because I don't have a VR headset. I would still get a bit of joint satisfaction out of knowing that people who did spend all of that money on that piece of hardware last October have actually got something else to play on it. Because although mm. we've got all this stuff coming out, all the stuff that's in the making, it's just for the time being, there just isn't anything to actually back up the hardware. So I would be really interested to see A, if they can do that, and B, if it's just how much of Sony's E3 conference this year is going to be taken up by PSVR. That's going to be the big thing because it is so typical of Sony with the PlayStation Move and the Vita and then you've got Nintendo with the DS and the 3DS and everything that these kind of these peripherals or these smaller pieces of hardware just seem to get dropped off and just fall by the wayside because there's just there's so much stuff coming out for the main platform that they have yeah. that all of the extra stuff seems to just 
lose out. And I'm hoping that doesn't become the case with this, especially as it was a particularly expensive piece of hardware. PlayStation Move is one thing, but PlayStation VR cost, you know, I mean, over here it was £350. So to have a PlayStation... Exactly, yeah. So a PlayStation Move that costs £40 is one thing, but when you add an extra £310 onto that, you need some kind of consistency with software to back it up. Yeah, we we don't want this to be a PlayStation Move or or a Kinect. Um, for as, no. as much as those were, were mm. good peripherals and many people had a lot of fun with them, yeah. they just weren't supported. And and yeah, we definitely don't want this to be a Vita where Vita fans are happy to get the indie games and the you know the the PS One classics and stuff, mm. but ultimately are sat with a machine that Sony don't seem to want to mention, mm. even at their own conferences, uh, be it E Three or be it a PlayStation Experience. It's just like. Like they're afraid of mentioning the damn thing, mm. and yeah, we're six weeks away from E3. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then that seems that seems to be primarily the Western market because the Vita has absolutely taken off in Japan. They love it, yeah, absolutely love it over there. But, so, but that, most people who have a Vita here, I certainly count myself amongst them, love their Vita. Mm. And the, for the past two months, I've barely played anything that isn't on the Switch. Mm. That that says to me that if there were games coming out for the Vita, I'd be playing them there. Mm. You know, I mm-hmm. did play Binding of Isaac there. I stopped because it didn't get the last two uh, updates to, to Rebirth. Mm. Um, and they were never going to come, so I mm. went back to PC and now I'm waiting for it on Switch. Yeah. Um, yeah. I yeah, just wish, a shame. I just hope Sony have a plan for this because mm. at, at the moment it it's gone awfully quiet and mm. I'd love well, for some more reasons to want to pick up a PSVR the games do trickle in it's just it doesn't seem to be the same fanfare for the main releases like they just yeah. seem to just appear on the store you want the platform holder shouting about them you want adverts not that yeah. we want adverts on the desktop but we want to see it prominent in the PSN store yeah. in Sony's you know, marketing at E3 all that sort of stuff we want to know that they're still considering it Mm. as part of their PlayStation platform. Mm. And it's, it's particularly funny when you think that the Vita is is kind of fallen by the wayside for yeah. main actual products, but most of the time you hear people talk about the Vita is because they used it for remote play of a PlayStation 4 game. Yeah. And now we've got Nintendo releasing a console. Obviously, we had the Wii U as well. Built-in remote play. Yeah, we're built-in remote play. So Nintendo have actually managed to kind of capitalise on that very idea, whereas the Vita seems to just be basically, this is what I use this machine for now because there is nothing else I can use it for. So it's just very weird to see two different companies approaching things from a very different perspective. Yeah, it's even to the point where the Switch, the first couple of weeks, and with the sales figures or shipped shipping figures coming out um there are odd people asking i wonder if sony will do something like a switch and as you say they kind of already have if you play your vita as remote play and you've got games on it it's just they never stuck with it so if sony at e3 suddenly go hey here's playstation vita 2 or whatever mm-hmm. do i have any faith i mean they, they didn't yeah. really support the psp Mm-hmm. fully throughout its life yeah it was sustained by you know um homebrew stuff and and japan being very popular in japan same as the vita has been it's just 
Mm. It'd be really nice to see Sony support it the way they do their main consoles. Mm. Mm. And let's be honest, whoever, whoever thought that the PSP Go was a good idea? <laughs> I believe it or not, I actually have a PSP Go. Oh yeah, I had one myself, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or Leon has mine at the moment, actually, yeah. from Game he, He's got it uh, to... I can't remember why he, he borrowed it. It was to play something or other for the show. Um, they were tiny, nice and small. Yeah. Nice and small, but obviously the downside being that if it's not on PSN store, you're not playing it. Yeah. Um, but I, I picked one up so that I would have a way to play uh, Burnout Legends because mm. EA never updated that to be Vita compatible, sadly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, and yeah, I I love that game, and I wanted a way to be able to play it, and didn't didn't have a PSP any longer, mm. um, and looked at the options and thought, well, if that and maybe like Street Fighter Alpha Three Max are kind of the only games I want to be able to play, yeah, and I'm happy with the other odd thing on the PSN store, yeah, fine, yeah, I'll just have it for mm. that, yeah. no problem at all, yeah, definitely. I think the uh, the Gradius collections on there as well, and again not Vita, so there are, there is still stuff that you can get off PSN store that's not available to play anywhere else. So mm, yeah, but but yeah, really uncomfortable to hold. Yes, I've never <laughs> yes, felt it a handheld like it. I'm sure there must have been a Game Boy somewhere that was as uncomfortable to hold, but that just sharp in all the wrong places, rounded no. in all the wrong places, yeah. and yeah, and just too Generic. small. Too small. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was far too small. I mean, the, your hands would take up just too much of it, really. So you'd have to actually deliberately put your hands on the edge of it. Yeah, but then yeah. it's, yeah. It's like when people talk about using claw grip on a controller. Mm. That's how I have to try and play. Yeah, and then there was the there was the was it the Sony phone that actually the screen flipped up so you could actually have yeah. the PSP Go buttons pretty much on the bottom half of the phone, and then mm. that just totally wasn't supported. So yeah. it it came with Crash Bandicoot as a standard game, and then the actual service was not supported at all. So that was a thing that kind of came and went pretty much instantly. Before its time, before its time. Yeah, it certainly wasn't an engage, lads. It wasn't an engage. <laughs> I was just thinking. I wonder if we're going to mention the engage. <laughs> well, I mean, we had this uh, this very discussion in the the Dark Insight chat on Twitter recently. Yeah. So yeah, mentioning the engage, and you can't, in my opinion, you can't mention the PSP Go without mentioning the the Sony phone and the engage. It just it all just fits into one conglomerate to me. So yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, that's quite a tangent. Right, so Vader, I'm gonna let you actually pick whatever you want to talk about. I think we'll probably do one game each, and then we'll wrap it up. I mean, I've got so much to talk about. I know you have. All the games. Well, I mean, Um, if you want to be quick about it, I can just talk about one more and then you can rinse through yours if you want. uh, Yeah, uh, Kamiko is one I want to talk about. It's another Switch indie game. It cost me $8.50, so it probably cost you guys like three or four pounds. Four forty nine or something here, yeah. I think it's pretty cheap. A typical New Zealand has got ripped off. Yeah, (laughs) well, exchange rate-wise, it's actually pretty good. It it works out pretty even, this one. and that's what I'm surprised with. All these games that we're talking about on the Switch are really well priced. Uh, they might be only a six-hour game, like Mr. Shifty, but it's it's only like it's a pretty cheap game. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is this is this is a very cool little indie game. Um, I've been very impressed with it. I've probably played played two levels. Uh, it's set. It's 
based on uh, Japanese Shinto belief, um, spiritual belief, and you play one of three priestesses. And it's an isometric um, Zelda-looking game, but a bit more pixel-arty than... Uh, it looks a bit uh, hyper-light drifter. Would be yeah, it does, actually, yeah. comparison yeah. from the last couple of years. From what one, you're right. Um, it, it's really nice. It's very pretty. It's... Um, mm. It's very uh, pastely colors, uh, kind of like Siri. I'm not talking to you. Shush. <laughs> <laughs> it's what is it? It's kind of has a similar aesthetic to Titan Souls, but a little bit more pastely and a bit more mm-hmm. um, lighter colors. Uh, it's it's very nice. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to struggling to describe it. Uh, as I say, you, you get to choose one of uh, three priestesses who you're being tasked to save the spirit spirit realm or or what whatnot. And each level it has three uh, Tori shrines or gates, Tori gates. You know those big orange gates you see in Japanese yeah, yeah, yeah. Around Japan. Yeah, the, the, um, and you have to unlock symbol. and free them from. Um, evil spirits that are being locked and you've got to go around and you're just doing simple environmental puzzles very much like link to the past where you're pushing buttons and flicking switches uh, but unlike old zeldas you actually have a combo so it's not just like a one slash you can combo things uh you have like a three or four hit combo um and the enemies respawn and it's what, what, what i really like is uh your kind of magical power which you can use to do uh, like a large spin attack also ties into unlocking chests and gates and stuff and you re- regather that by killing enemies and so yeah there's it's there's a trade-off so if you use all your power by doing your super attacks then you then you have to go farm more energy to actually unlock the chests you need to to progress the level um yeah i really like it it's a really charming sweet game uh I've only played one of the three priestesses, but they're all very different. So you've got the the classic two-handed big sword, uh, the archer, and then the shield and uh, short sword uh, characters. And yeah, it's just a really fun little game. For the price of it, it's well worth it just to have it on the Switch, just so you can flick on whenever. Yeah. I, uh, I was going to ask, uh, so each priestess plays differently? Do they have a different magic ability as well? or? I, I would I assume, you know, uh, but yeah, no, but yeah, they had different weapons, so I assume so. The archer, mm-hmm. I assume, would probably have like a, a one, probably like you could charge up a shot, which is yeah. pretty classic for an archer. Mm-hmm. The sword, um, it just does a spin attack, very much like the the link to the pass or the classic sure, Zelda yeah. spin. Yeah, <laughs> but you can hold it down, and it yeah. will chew through your magic um, bar, and you just can keep it going. Yeah, all yeah. the enemies are quite fun there seems to be quite a large variety of them uh and all i think they're all based on shinto kind of uh yokai uh spirits uh, yeah, possessed sure. spirit spirits um like there's demon frogs that blow bubbles that chase you there's little blobs with one eye and um and then you get to the bosses the first level you do once you've un- unlocked four uh tori gates um you can yeah you, you fight a boss and the very titan souls esque i really didn't like titan souls <laughs> uh in this case the bosses aren't too hard but there's there's a little puzzle to them uh so yeah like the very first boss there's four switches on the ground 
that you can interact with. They, they, they click when you walk over them, but there's four of them and they don't stay on when you walk off them. Um, but there's a pattern surrounding them, uh, which is the similar pattern what the boss has on its body. And so you quickly work out that the boss was chasing you and you lead him around the boss room for him to land on those switches, which they yeah. stay lit. And once you've done all four, it opens up uh, the boss to be hit and uh, to do damage on. And I think you do that three or four times to beat the boss. So very simple, but mm. it was fun. Like it didn't need to be hard. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, sure. And it's the very first boss. And the second boss was, again, something similar, um, where you there's a slight puzzle to the boss. I won't spoil it because those who want to go play it and experience it themselves. But yeah, so very simple po um, puzzles within the boss rooms. The puzzles themselves are a lot of fun within the levels. Uh, there's there's warping. There's um, times where you have to you get you pick up an item and you can't attack where you got it where you get it and enemies mm -hmm. respawn in every kind of little area, and so you then have to plan out a, a, like a route to try and run this item across the map. Um, so yeah, a bit of Benny Hill chasing happens, which is fun. <laughs> uh, there's secrets uh, very much like your old top-down games like shining force 2 there's secrets underneath trees where you can kind of see the chest like, a, like maybe a half of the chest hidden obscured by by a roof and so you need to work out how to like where there's a path a hidden path you got to work out uh, so very very uh, nostalgic and paying homage to these old classic games but with but it has a lot of modern uh it, it feels smooth and modern Mm. Uh, yeah, I really like it. I really like it. Eight fifty is well worth it. Um, it just made me smile. Just as just one of those, you know, good feeling games. A lot mm -hmm. of fun. The, the yeah. characters are cool. Yeah, I've certainly heard nothing but good things about it. So it's uh, it's on my list to pick up as soon as I've got a a free minute. Um, and just the fact that it's so cheap. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And. And and there is there is a time attack kind of element to it. It tells you how long it takes to finish the level. So I, th I think there are leaderboards where you can then go try and redo those puzzles quicker. Um, but I'm just enjoying it for a simple Zelda-esque kind of puzzle map thing. Hmm. Um, cool. Yeah, and each level is uh, has a different tone and color to it. I think the first one's quite greeny. Uh, the one I'm on now is very like quite bright, uh, pinky and orangey, I think, from memory. Uh, yeah, that's Kamiko. Lovely, nice. Anything else? Um, oh, yeah, I could. Uh, I just want to talk about. I'll talk about some of the Wonder Girl, Wonder Boy next week. But uh, Scales of the Shogun, I've really enjoyed. Because much like you, Josh, I've kind of burnt out and can't really find the energy to play some mm -hmm. of these bigger taxing games yeah and so definitely. my son actually yeah it gets a bit much doesn't it it really does <laughs> yeah um and that's why i've enjoyed all these indie games this week on the switch but um i got scales of the shogun free with playstation plus probably a good year ago now and i enjoyed it i played it once at the time i think me and my son did a quick little video with it playing each other uh, battling mm -hmm. each other mm -hmm. but my son turned it on earlier in this week and so I ended up helping him get through a level. I was like, yeah, this is really fun. So I ended up starting a game on my own save. And it's, it's um, you're, based, you're, you're a warlord in, in Japan, uh, feudal, uh, feudal Japan, who's being killed. And you've gone to the afterlife. And because you're a badass samurai lord, you're not going to wait in line to, to go into, into heaven. 
so you kind of decide you're going to fight your way through and take the shortcut um and you and you learn more about how you died as you play um basically your your lieutenant your second command killed you backstabbed you um and you're so now you're seeking revenge as you fight through the the, the, the afterlife and see all little skulls uh samurai sc- uh, skeletons and it's a little strategy game where you have your your squad you have five orders you can issue each round and you've got different uh characters you've got your your, your warlord uh, then you have like horsemen uh, infantry and archers and yeah you just gotta strategically move each character at a time to fight your way through and it has a lot of i mentioned ukulele kind of breaking the fourth wall and talking about itself as a game done badly this does it well i find it's really funny it does it from time to time it'll, it'll say things like your guys were like i think i can we just need to get off the screen and things like that um or uh it, it's it's really fun uh, i really like the, the humor um the gameplay's fun um it's pretty hard at times but you can yeah you can you put a strategy yeah you get through the levels uh yeah it's, it's really fun uh yeah it, when i saw you'd put this on the uh on the show notes um i i quickly checked because i'd heard jake kasdal who is part of 17-bit games who made skulls of the shogun on a podcast recently and uh, i couldn't quite remember where it was but he was on um final games podcast uh, on episode 50 yeah. um and uh his he he goes back to he he um helped out on res uh worked on res back then mm. uh made skulls of the shogun as a homage to advance wars um mm. and uh then made uh, galaxy as well um mm. as part of 17-bit games and yeah, cool. uh, yeah seems like a, a really cool guy who obviously just has a massive massive adoration for advance wars and wanted to make a slightly tweaked version that was as he describes it kind of his his perfect game if you like you mm. know it's it's made entirely based upon what he wanted to see in the game mm. um and i still to my shame haven't got around to play it but uh, it sounds utterly fascinating to me mm. it's really fun the setting's cool like i like i like japan i like Jeff, yeah, summarize yeah. Mm. <laughs> so the setting's fun and you're fighting through through the afterlife and so like each you're working towards different gates um mm. so again it probably has a bit of shinto um belief built into it um yeah it's it's just it's, there's a lot of charm to it the the gameplay is top notch um there's there is replayability if you want to be um to get all the achievements there's each level like most level-based games these days have kind of your three star with three skulls sure but they're yeah. not they're not it's not as as necessary as some of these other games like therefore doing it's in a special way like if you i got one for one level because i didn't awaken my my general because mm. there's a ability he has if you leave him sleeping or meditating mm. um at the start of the level he gets an extra hit point per round mm-hmm and I left him asleep the whole, I don't need him in the end. And mm. so I finished level without using him and I got one of the skulls. And so there's little things where you can do that without losing a soldier, which is very hard. Mm. Uh, I haven't, I've yet to do that in any of the levels I've done. I've lost, yeah, it's very easy to, to lose a soldier. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's replayability. And I think there's, you can actually play other people. I think there might be an online function 
Hmm. Or at least there's couch co-op where you can actually play each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah play head-to-head. Uh, All right. Yeah. Which, um, but yeah, and there's, as the levels, the game adds depth as you go on. It starts off quite simple. Uh, later on, you get um, shrines you can can haunt because you're skeletons, you can haunt things. And so you might haunt a, a fox um, shrine and then you get a little cleric on your side. And then later you get a, you can haunt a salamander uh, shrine and you get a, a fire wizard a fire like he breathes start fire and and cast spells and eating skulls of your enemies powers you up which is kind of a fun little thing mm. <laughs> uh yeah it's just it's a lot of lot of character a lot of fun and it's actually replaying it now it's probably a game that went under the radar and a lot of people probably didn't play but it's it's a very good game it's mm. yeah it's, a, it's very good yeah I, I do remember, uh, I think Microsoft initially published that because it came to Xbox first, I want to say. Um, okay. And, uh, and yeah, I, I seem to remember they did a relatively good job. I certainly heard a lot about it at the time, but I think it's one of those things that, as with a lot of strategy or tactics games, people tend to be put off if they're not already fans of that style of game, um, just by, I guess, concerned of not being good at it or they can be slower games particularly if they're turn-based and so it tends to put people off unfortunately mm. um, yeah um and i can understand yeah. it this is actually i'm surprised um it's very quick paced like you can do some of the yeah. levels very quick and if like five to ten minutes um yes yeah, so there's a lot of leeway and he's definitely the developers definitely thought about it and actually made compensation so it's not slow and there's always something mm. happening um sounds yeah, like it's, the it's, sort it's, of game that would work well on the switch just saying <laughs> I, I, I thought exactly the same thing i'd love this on the switch <laughs> um yeah i'll leave i'll leave wonder boy for next week or next time i'm on yeah cracking so that i i knew that scores of the shogun was on ps plus uh, but i just at the time i didn't actually think to pick it up so i'm gonna have to uh change that at some point when i finish the other 20 billion games and my bloody backlog so, <laughs> just the way it is. But one thing I have played this week, I was hoping to actually finish it before we recorded, but that didn't actually happen because our household seems to have been taken over by a Channel Four program called First Date. So that's that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I didn't actually get a chance to finish it. But I have played this week uh, the remastered version of uh, Full Throttle, which is a game that I have wanted to play for probably around about 16 years or something like that um i did have the original on pc sorry go on Vader. you're gonna say something i played the demo yeah 16 years ago <laughs> oh yeah <hell. laughs> well 20 actually no probably it's closer to the release time it's probably 20 years ago I mean, that was an approximation on my part because I just remember having the PC version. Because I've never been a massive PC gamer, but I think oh, the the five PC games I have were probably Full Throttle, Discworld Noir, uh, Shadow Ops, Red Mercury. <laughs> That's a very niche first-person shooter. <laughs> um, uh, Lord of the Rings, Battle for Middle-Earth, and Just Jack Rabbit 2. So, you know, I'm, I, I went all in, lads. I went all in. Um <laughs> Yeah, so this is this is one of those where I kind of always wanted to play it. It's it was a very old game, so by the time 
I kind of got around to playing it. The PC couldn't really hack it because it was too modern to really run it. So it was one of those where you kind of think, maybe one day I'll get around to it. And it seems like this week seems to have been the time where it's actually come to the forefront of me being able to, I don't know, actually see it for, for what it is. What I love about these games, and I, th- I haven't played all of the the remasters of these these LucasArts games but what I love about them is the ability to change uh, between the modern visuals and the original visuals I love being able to do that because just for comparison purposes it is absolutely incredible and I still think that although obviously the original visuals have dated terribly but I still feel that the art style, especially in Full Throttle, because of the kind of story that it is and the kind of environment that you're in and the kind of art style that comes with that, the original visuals still has a level of appeal that I could really, I don't know, engage with. And actually it resonated with me quite a lot because of the kind of person that I am. And I'm not a biker by any means. So, you know, I'm, that doesn't, in terms of the, the actual story of it being surround, like being based on a biker gang, I can't resonate with that. But the kind of, just purely from a visual standpoint, it just, it really speaks to me. And just going from the original to what they've actually done with it is bloody astounding. It's not just from them being able to obviously make everything you know high res textures and, and all that sort of stuff but just how they've managed to encapsulate the atmosphere and the feel and the tone that they were really going for originally in the modern day visuals is just incredible to look at and i feel that it succeeds wholeheartedly in just the art direction and the style that they've managed to I don't know, basically reinvigorate with modern technology. It's absolutely fantastic. So it's it feels so good to be able to actually be in this world at long last and be able to experience it on modern day terms as well as original terms. So you kind of and you can you can flick between these at any time you like. It doesn't matter if it's in a cutscene or just you're just doing something random. You can just you can switch between it just by pressing the touchpad. On the PS4 controller, and it is just fantastic to be able to do that because there are some set pieces and some vistas that you just you have a couple of seconds to just sort of switch between them, and you really get a feel for what they were going for. In terms of story, it's not very long, uh, which I guess is kind of speaks to the time that it was made in. These games to my knowledge were never meant to be very long obviously this is kind of this is slightly before my time I've always been pretty much a sort of console centric gamer with uh, just dipping my toe into PC games on the odd occasion but I don't know it is very short I'm according to my save file I think I'm about 94% of the way through it and I've only put about four and a half five hours into it so it's not very long at all yeah Yeah, it is very short but for the price because it's not retail sort of full price or anything like that it is just that i paid it was 11.99 
So for no, twelve, good. yeah, definitely for for twelve pounds, I could certainly say that to be able to play a game that I've been wanting to play for many years and to then pay twelve pounds for it to get a short but enjoyable experience is definitely worth it to me. And the the story, although it's nothing groundbreaking, it's nothing special. It's just it's basically it's a tale of revenge. I shan't spoil it or anything, but it's a tale of revenge and. You know, it doesn't go out of its way to go into character development or anything, but that's not really what you expect from these games. You kind of you expect a a sense of a well realized world, and to that degree, it certainly nails that. It really does. It does make me feel like I'm just I'm part of this biker gang, um, and I, I'm just I'm on this highway, and there's just this this very and those sort of grey or colour palette in terms of the sky and then you've got a very uh washed out sort of beige brownish colour for like the sand and everything. It just it absolutely nails it. Um one thing I will say is the the combat scenarios in this game where it's basically just you coming towards the screen and then there's another character on a different bike coming towards the screen as well and then you have to select a weapon and you have to press a specific button to actually hit them with the weapon those sections are shit um (laughs) (laughs) that is not a fault of the remaster that is just in my opinion that's a fault of game design the actual the mechanics of that is just it's boring it requires nothing of you. The frame rate suffers dramatically for some strange reason. Even on like the remaster version, it just completely falls apart for something that is not taxing by any means. It's not mechanically taxing or visually taxing at all. But just for some reason, when you go to attack this other person, it just completely destroys itself. Um, and the actual... It's very temperamental and very sort of trial and error, this combat. And it's it's very basic. I didn't expect a lot anyway, but to just get that, it was just crap. And I was glad when it ended and I got what I needed out of it. There was also a bit towards the back end of the game, which I shan't spoil, but there is a bit where it takes a kind of original GTA sort of top-down style. Um, the only thing I'll say about that bit is it can fuck itself in the bin. It it was absolutely terrible. The car that I was in for that bit controlled like utter dog shit. It was slow and just it didn't engage me at all. It was just one of those moments where I was glad it was over. I never intend to do it again. What I intend to basically do is once I finish the story, just go back, mop up any remaining trophies, get the platinum, and then I can I'll be happy with that. But say for the £12, I'm more than happy with the story and the game that I've got. I'm glad to have actually finally played this game and to be able to tick it off the list. And It's got, you know, it's got some good characters. The, the, the voice acting is has been completely redone so that it's not compressed anymore from like the typical 90s style that, that we all know and love. And it just, to go as a comparison from, because when you switch from the modern to the original, it takes everything so that's the visuals and the sound effects and all the the voice acting and all of that is compressed so if you do that in the middle of like a conversation you really get a feel for just how much 
has gone into this and that's one thing that I will say to its credit is and that goes across all of their games to be fair is when they remaster games you can tell that it, it really is a labour of love and the, the people who originally made this game care about this game and that they they want it to be served in the best way possible although some bits do fall flat just because it's you know that it was game design that was around at the time that doesn't really bother me because it's just it is such full of passion and love and it's got an audio commentary that you can have to explain bits and pieces to you as you go along so just for that kind of stuff I completely just applaud them for that and it's good to see them taking pride in their work so many years later and I'm very very happy and glad that I actually managed to to cross this one off the list or will do tonight I expect so Mm. yeah I really really enjoyed it and so for £12 it was an absolute bargain it's a shame that um, you're saying when when they shift perspective or gameplay style it doesn't work as well Mm. you know it doesn't doesn't pull it off because we've had quite a lot of games recently like uh, original Nier and Nier Automata Mm. uh, El Shaddai did this Mm -hmm. Uh, even Rayman uh, Oranges and Lemons um, (laughs) did this and what was the other one? Oh, Asura's Wrath as well. Mm, yeah. All had moments where either the camera shifted uh, or the gameplay uh, changed dramatically. Mm. And even within the bounds of the engine or what they'd set up before or the art style, they managed, in my opinion, to do pretty interesting things with that. Mm. Uh, it's a shame that they haven't really been able to, it sounds like, or they weren't able to uh, back back then. Yeah, um, and as you say, there's nothing they can do about it now. They're remastering mm. a game that, you know, without just changing the game entirely, mm. you know, there's no fixing that. But I think I think it it probably falls prey to the fact that it's essentially it's a visual novel as well. So there isn't a, there isn't any specific um, combat mechanic to this game, whereas yeah. all, all those other games you mentioned are specific to combat. So they they have to accommodate the mechanics of the combat. Yeah, they're this... adapting one combat system into a slightly yeah. different gameplay style. Yeah, exactly. They've got something to work with. Yeah, mm. that's fair. Yeah, definitely. Whereas this is just it's because it's such a point and click adventure. The combat is definitely just something. It's essentially it's there to for you to get an item that you need to progress, and that is sure. the that's the only function that it serves. So for them to actually have not really put that much time into it in the original um mm. because it's essentially it's to drive the plot forward so it, it's not really sort of a mark against the game because it's just it's a bad piece of game design but it's a bad piece of game design that has no specific meaning to the game in question so it's not it's not integral to the game itself it's just it's merely just something for you to to bring something the... you just have to get through to exactly yeah so it's just you know so i can't i can't really hold it against it it's just just sure, absolutely not. from a purely sort of gameplay perspective when you know because i've been playing it sort of before working in the morning and playing a section like that the half past four in the morning when you haven't even had a coffee and you think <laughs> oh just no i can't be dealing with this but you know it's just it's it's just part of it you know it's just i didn't really mind it um but it's crap but possible so yeah. 
It's just funny you talk about how you can switch between the the graphics. Um, I played Monkey Island, the remaster, mm. a year last year, mm. and yeah. I loved that game. Mm. And I play it, and I was playing it, and I this is how I remembered the game. And then then I mm. saw that you could switch the graphics how it used to be. Mm. <laughs> the new graphics is how I remembered it looking. Mm. <laughs> yeah, definitely yeah. doesn't yeah, look like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, nostalgia has a has a big effect on our memories. Mm. <laughs> Definitely, but I did find playing this that although it was nice to have the the super shiny graphics and everything, I kind of enjoyed going back to the original graphics just because because it's so grainy and because it looks so pixelized and, and crap. It's got a kind of charm to it that the although the new one looks really nice, it doesn't necessarily have the charm because it's just you can tell that it it had the budget and everything whereas you could tell that with the original they didn't necessarily have the the huge budget they were just working with the technology that they had and they couldn't necessarily go all out and i don't know it's just there is such a a level of charm and grace to the original although it hasn't aged well at all Mm. but there's just something about it that just draws me in because although it's it's gritty and it's rough around the edges and it looks crap I can't help but just fall in love with it because of what they managed to achieve for the time um, but yeah just it, I've really enjoyed it overall so I'm glad to have finally ticked it off the list yeah I imagine there's a, a bit of incongruity if the graphics are updated to the point where you know they, they look great mm. Um and the the gameplay hasn't been because that's been preserved. Mm. Um, whereas switching back to the old graphics kind of fits the gameplay better, maybe because they're mm. of the same era, mm. um, and and they were made to look like that. Yeah. Um, I'll be interested next week to tune in and hear what you've got to say about Wonder Boy in that respect, because um, I imagine that game's difficulty and the way it plays it could. Although I really like what I've, the stills I've seen of the new art style and the trailers and stuff. Mm. Um, I, I guess it it could kind of betray the situation where you're playing something that looks like it's made today, and yet it doesn't play that way. You know. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I could talk about that, <laughs> but I'll save that because we're, we're pushing for time. Yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you're right. With Wonder Boy, you can switch between the old and the new. My son yeah. actually likes. He goes, keep playing the old. He likes it seeing the <laughs> old way. Mm. Yeah. Uh, mm. But the art style for the new is very good. Mm. But I won't say much more. No, no, no. I don't want to spoil next week's episode. Yeah. (laughs) Well, with that, I think um, we should wrap this one up. Yeah. So so it's been a good old, good old chat. So, um, well, thank you very much for coming on, James. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on, as always. No, absolutely. It's uh, always great fun just to kind of shoot the breeze, chat about what I've been playing rather than a particular game. So yeah, nice to come on and just uh, and be so positive about the Switch. Because mm. it's it been, good. Uh, that, that's been, yeah, my last sort of nearly two months now has been pretty Switch dedicated. So it's been mm. nice. Yeah, definitely. Thank you very much for uh, for inviting me back. No, yeah. Always it's, welcome. Yeah, always welcome. It's an absolute pleasure. And so in, because... Uh, if people don't know which thing, frankly they should because you're part of Kenny Rince you're actually Kenny Rince was the first podcast that I actually discovered when I first got into podcasts and it was one of mm. um, 
it was one of the episodes you hosted. It was actually it was the Manhunt and Manhunt Two episode. That, that was. Oh, the fr- I really enjoyed doing. Yeah, that. it was. Yeah, it was, that was a good show. Yeah, it was a very good listen. That was the very first podcast I ever listened to. So since then, it's just kind of snowballed from there. So it's been it's been kind of weird to me, really, to actually be in the hosting seat <laughs> in this situation, but. But it's definitely been an awesome thing to do. So, no, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Yeah, no, uh, thank you for reminding me of that episode. I, I really enjoyed that. <laughs> obviously, with with those games, you get into a lot of questions over the controversy around mm, them and yeah. how far they go in uh, in representing violence and uh, incredibly disturbing behaviours. But, no, uh, I, yeah, I really enjoyed those shows for, for chatting about that. Mm. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's really nice to hear that uh, that that was the first Kane Rinch you listened to as well. Yeah, it was the very first one, and then as soon as I listened to that, I thought that's it, I'm hooked. So I went and listened <laughs> to every single one, and now I'm all caught up. So yeah. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, yeah oh, it's all good. Thank you very much. That's uh, lovely to hear. Not at all, man. Not at all. So where can people find you on the internet? And is there anything you'd like to plug? Yeah, sure. Um, as mentioned, you can find me. Uh, amongst the ten strong crew of Canaan Rinse, I might uh, that was just off the top of my head. I haven't <laughs> counted or anything recently. Uh, we're we're fairly stable in terms of the number of people who are on, but I think we're at ten at the moment. Hmm. Uh, with uh, Leah being the most recent mm-hmm. uh, addition to the team, and uh, yeah, we talk about a different game or series of games each week. Um, we are on volume six now so that's we're in our sixth year of, of the show and we're heading towards 300 episodes uh believe it or not that <laughs> it's a long time ago that we started that um and yeah the schedule is up on the website canon and rinse.com mm-hmm. yeah i always do this because <laughs> my website that i'll mention in a second is dot net but canon um <laughs> So yeah, go there for that. And uh, we also have a video game music podcast called Sound of Play that is also weekly, uh, but released on a Wednesday rather than a Monday um, and is a host plus guests either from the Cairn Rinse team or from elsewhere, including um, video game musicians and composers mm. uh, come on and, and they pick some of their favorite tunes uh, from games they've played or songs they've written or you know all, all sorts um and it really is always a wonderful listen to hear obviously as anyone listening to this knows the vast range of music that appears in video games from real basic chiptune stuff to full orchestral score mm-hmm. um and you know some real kind of genre stuff you know you, you get the odd uh electronica or metal infused track and as we've mentioned stuff like hotline miami mm-hmm. uh comes in there as well so yeah just loads and loads of uh, of great music so so yeah you can find both of those at canerinse.com and all contact details for the show you'll find there twitter etc um and i also have a health and fitness blog called retrofit which you can find at retrofitpod.net um haven't done a podcast in a while although i've got one in the can to put up uh, not too similar time to when you'll hear this so uh, cool. if you want to go and look for that that's me talking about my quest to be a fitter healthier human being hmm. fantastic lovely 
And uh, Vader, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, com. I have a website. <laughs> yeah, you just cover um, all bases with that, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, it's easy because you can get my Twitter, YouTube, everything from there. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the easier way to do it. Yeah, <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, if you want to find me on the internet, you can find me uh, primarily on Twitter at Morbid Beard. If you go on there, you can find my uh, my PlayStation stuff and my Xbox stuff. In fact, if you please do add me on Xbox because it might actually give me a reason to turn that bloody machine on for a change. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't 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 pull that thread. I've got some words to say about that. <laughs> you and me both. Yeah, lots of words. Yes. Yeah, yeah I have I'm many words. Deal. Still yeah. waiting for Steelbound. I'm still yeah. wait. I'm still waiting for a game to actually buy for that machine that's not on the PlayStation. But and I didn't help myself. I bought ukulele for Xbox as an excuse to turn the thing on. <laughs> <laughs> not that that soured your memory. For the <laughs> <at all. laughs> oh dear. So, yeah. Oh man! Well, so thank you very much for listening, everybody. If you like the show and you know you like what we do and you like the kind of conversation that we have, you know, you can find us on iTunes and I think we're on Stitcher and all, all sorts of stuff. Um, if you go to darkinside.net, you can find all the shows on there and you can find links to all of the hosts and all of the guests that we've had on the show so far and all the twenty billion shows that Jeremy does and you know. <laughs> all of that stuff you can find all that on darkinside.net and you know you can find all our twitters on stuff you know and if if you want to um subscribe to us and leave us a rating and a review and all that then that would be absolutely fantastic and help us out a lot so thank you very much for listening and so uh i shall see you in two weeks or all, all being said and done hopefully all will go to plan and there'll be another episode for you next week so I should say see you later bye 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 bye